Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. I'm Alex Garrett. And with me tonight is someone I consider probably a funny guy. I mean, the title of his book should say enough about his humor. It's called. Fuck off, Chloe. F off, Chloe. Can I even curse? I guess I can curse. It's my podcast. Uh, surviving the OMGs and FMLs in your media career. Just the headline alone, Jeremy Murphy. Uh, I feel like I got a story to tell. But firstly, going from communications at CBS for 14 years mm-hmm. to your own boutique, uh, tell us about your journey. I, I want to know all about this. Okay. I started as a newspaper reporter, uh, my first job out of college, and was a journalist uh, for five or six years. And I got recruited by CBS to um, join their communications department. And I was there 14 years. And I pretty much did everything. I was a company spokesperson. I was an editor of a magazine. I was you know, vice president of the department um, and turned 40. Um, and decided I wanted to do something for myself. You know, there was a, uh, there was a ceiling, um, that I, I felt I hit. So I left and I started my own company and I've been doing it for five years now. And what was the ceiling? What was the turning point? Because obviously mainstream media is such a cutthroat business to begin with. Right. What was your ceiling? Uh, not owning something and working for someone else and and your future is in someone else's hands and not seeing the um not seeing the high like not seeing the trajectory uh keep going you know there there were some very talented people there that um i was not first in line um and so i said you know i want to i want to do my own thing and so as as you're starting to get restless i'm sure you you accumulate enough stories from there to make a book out of this so what did you see in your 14 years that inspired you to write this book a lot um you know the book is a humor book and it's kind of uh, the sum of all my experience in, in media as a journalist as a pr guy um having worked in television um media the book is it, it, it's it's basically a, a humor book about the cultural divide between people like me who have been there for years and a younger generation that's coming in and is completely different. Um, you know that I think uh, 
and I'm not saying for all of them, but there is a sense of entitlement with the younger people today. Uh, we joke that, you know, they want a trophy for coming to work. And I'm not saying all, I'm not saying everybody, but there is a, a certain group of people who um, have been told all their lives that they're, they're special and they're superstars. And that's all they've heard in their life. And so they come into the workplace believing it. Mm -hmm. And they think everything they say deserves an audience and deserves applause because they're the best. And they come into the workplace and they soon learn that they're not. Well, and they soon learn that they're out of their league, right? They're out of their league and they're not special. Guess what? Go to work. <laughs> well, on that note then, does it bother you that so many are not wanting to go back to work through this pandemic? Maybe it's a different situation, but are you seeing the millennials even so say, I want to work from home and not go back to the office? What are you seeing right now? You know, I see um, millennials and Gen Zers. I, I think it's the sum of what they've seen. And, you know, what they've seen their parents, you know, th there used to be that social contract that if you work for a company long enough, the company would take care of you. Right. That doesn't exist anymore. So I think younger people realize it's about me. And there's no loyalty to a company. The loyalty is to themselves. And they will literally jump uh, from one job to another. And, you know, that might be the smart thing. Um, but, you know, there is not a lot of loyalty to uh, a job or a company. They just hop, uh, you know, as soon as, it, as, soon as it, it can happen. You know, they get another offer and they're there. Uh, you know, I was at a company for 14 years. That was never even in my wheel of thought i was gonna say that because you just you were at a college and you got to cbs uh they say people out of college should be in a job for five years or or less so how did you end yep. up there for 14 and and did you feel it was a wise decision to stay past the five-year mark so to speak? At, at the time i did um and looking back no uh because you know it, you're supposed to jump to to create salary history so you're supposed to, you know, one job to another, and that's how you build, that's how you, you grow your salary. Whereas if you stay at the same company, you're going to get the same 5%, 10%, what, not even 10%. So while I was there, it was, there, there was a feeling that um, it was a great company and you should, you're, you're lucky to be here. Mm. And here's your cost of living raise. And you know what, they're, 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 if you, if you gave 110% that, you did uh, get acknowledged, um, but I think it's generational. You know, uh, you know, I I grew up thinking that you know if you if you gave it all to a company that you could spend your life there, and that's why I just say this generation. But in the meantime, you you saw what the entitlement was doing. So you have any crazy stories? Like, did you have a lot of fights with millennials even while they were working for you? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I was always, uh, I remember, um, you know, I oversaw a, a, a big project and, you know, after every success we had, I would send out an email congratulating everybody who really gave it the role. And there was one person who didn't give it the role and um, was very mad that she was not included in the congratulations uh, message that I wrote and actually called HR on me because no. she felt, yeah, because uh, she felt um, she wasn't recognized. And my thing was, but she didn't do anything. Like she, you weren't even part of that. 
Um, that is, um, and I hope he didn't get in trouble for that. I mean, that just sounds stupid to call HR. Um, you know, it was just like th- there were lots of those little things. Um, you know, uh, you, you know, it, it, it was, it's a point in time like you know, now you can't even tell someone to do their job because mm-hmm. they'll call HR on you. How about this in football? You can't even tell them to do runs if they don't do well in practice. It's, 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 right. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, obviously CBS you felt kind of done there. And did you start to feel that about corporate America too, that they weren't giving you what you gave them and that's why you left. And I don't want to know if you want to trash CBS here, but did you feel that they were not as appreciative and so you left and did your own thing? No, it was not that. It was more me. Um, You know, working for a corporation is definitely different, but I didn't really know different because I'd grown up there. So I didn't really know what it felt like not to, to be that way. Um, and, you know, they were like any other company. Um, and, you know, I used to joke that, you know, we, we would take actors to, uh, to Paris for a photo shoot with no questions asked, but to order toner, I needed like three signatures. <laughs> that's just ridiculous. And that's just sort of corporate there. Um, now, Bespoke is your uh, Bespoke 360 is your new baby, right? So when did that start? Um, so I when I left, well, when I was getting ready to leave, I you know uh, one of the things I really love is I love artists um, and and I love luxury and lifestyle. Those are kind of my uh, my passions. So as I was getting ready to leave, I knew that's what I wanted to do, and this is 2016. So uh, Five years ago, when I left, I said, um, I want to, what, what do I do well, PR, and what do I want to work in? I want to work with classical musicians, I want to work with artists, and I want to work with small luxury, um, travel, beauty, lifestyle. And the name 360 Bespoke was, I love the word bespoke. To me, it's, it's so tailored and it's so uh, elegant. And 360 means to me is the full scope. Sure. It's everything. So you combine them and that's where uh, I got the name, uh, me and a business part of their time, uh, Joe Wilson. Um, we came up with that. More him than me. Mm-hmm. I came up with the bespoke. He came up with the 360. Um, yeah, and so it's five years now. And congratulations on that. Thank I got to ask you, um, as a... a also on the newspaper from because obviously still love newspapers so does that get incorporated into your PR work do you still have those connections or do you feel like newspapers from when you were in college to now are just completely different and not even worth advertising in um you know newspapers are 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 interesting because no one's reading the paper product anymore um but the 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 successful ones migrated online and and they're finding a way to monetize their readers like the new york times is so uh they're not relying on advertising anymore the, you know that they, they realize that people will pay for our content directly mm-hmm. and those are the smart ones and they still have a lot of relevance like as a pr guy getting uh the new york times the washington post wall street journal to write about your client is still gold and is PR on your own way different? I feel like you don't have to go sort of by corporate rules when you do PR. You can kind of reach out your own way, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a wild west. 
um, you know, the, the, I own my company, so I kind of make the rules. Uh, but, you know, there are some fundamentals. Um, you know, you're still trying to tell a story and getting a journalist to write about it. And, you know, no one goes into journalism for the glamour. It's a calling. Like, the, the, you know, mm -hmm. the, the uh, desire to, to report and to expose corruption and to, to um, write the first draft of history, so to speak, is almost like akin to like wanting to heal. Like it's mm -hmm. not something um, that you, you, I don't think it's something that you learn, I think it's a calling. And um, so as a PR guy, I'm dealing with people like that where they, it's about truth. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and this is not changed over time. So when I bring a story to them, it's gotta be true. It's gotta be, I'm telling a story, I want it to be in the best light for my client, but that's a fundamental, you know, you, you, you bring a story to a journalist rooted in truth. Hey, tell me uh, your, your funnest, your most fun pitch and the pitch you struggled the most with. Like, let's start with your most fun pitch. Um, oh, this is interesting. So it's so off brand for me, but um, a colleague um, connected me to a, a gentleman, um, former healthcare CEO, uh, and very, very, uh, very smart entrepreneur. And he had started a platform called Funeralocity, and it is the travelocity of funeral homes. That just and, sounds funny. I'm sorry. It sounds funny. Oh, it's a, it's crazy right? And it's a, it's a platform where you go on and you type in a zip code and it lists every funeral home in that zip code, the prices, locations, and contacts. And I met with the man and I said, this is so off brand for me. Like I do artists, I do luxury, but I really like the guy. And I said, why don't I give it a shot? Oh my God. It is the most fun client. Um, I have no problem getting this press. I mean, I, every, stations are eating out of our hands, newspapers, radio, online, television, because funerals are something every, every person will deal with in, in their life. And it's something emotional. Um, so it's kind of like, I hate to say it's fun, but it's challenging. And it's, um, um, it's really tested my mettle and helped me realize that if I can do, if I could promote that, I could do anything. So you say pitching artists and luxury. So like who sort of a, like, I don't know, like a dream vacation spot type of pitch or what is to luxury? What do you pitch? So luxury you're pitching, uh, you're pitching, um, the aspiration of it and, um, the glamour, uh, the entry point, like, um, you know, the product, like why is the product, uh, why is a product worth writing about? What does it have? What will it do for you? Um, you know, uh, buying it, like what, you know, it's kind of like when you go and buy a fragrance, you know, say you go to the department store and you, you buy a Chanel fragrance, well, yeah, that fragrance might cost $50, but you feel like you're a part of that world. Mm. It's an entry point. And that's what you're selling. You're selling kind of like um, a doorway 
to a different life, to a to glamour, to a- aspiration, to like fan. the rich and famous type of thing. Exactly. Okay, I've got to ask you this because you're very reserved right now. But okay, for someone who writes the F word as their first, you know, word of the title, right. you have to have some uh, vitriol or whatever. You have to have something in you to make you want to curse and whatnot. I can't imagine you're you're this reserved all the time. Oh no, you know what it is for me. Uh, what I lose my shit um, when people send me overly complicated uh, Google Doc, Dropbox, Zam, Boom, Slack, Twitch. I, 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 I literally go nuts. And I have some clients who uh, want, there's this thing called the tracker. Okay. And it's a, an Excel sheet, Google Doc, and you have to put in all these fields and color code it. And I lose my shit on that. I absolutely hate it. And that's when the F word starts coming out. <laughs> that's, uh, and you actually tell the client this, right? Oh, now I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm at the, um, I'm at the point now, uh, very fortuitously that business comes to me you know, after five years of going out there and proposing and beating, you know, beating the sidewalks, um, now it's coming to me and I'm just very upfront about it. I say, I don't do that. I'm not doing your Google Doc spread, blah, 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 blah. Not doing that. What I do is I will get you press and I'll send you an email with all the links to the press and I'm not doing your fucking track changes. Microsoft Word and that's it. No bubbles, no blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You're, you're also you're, you're done with it basically you're, i'm done you're no i'm linked out sorry okay podcasters do they ever partner with you to get their brand out or do you ever pitch to podcasters oh uh i pitch to podcasts all the time um and well, then on the list then <laughs> oh yeah absolutely no it's uh, i would love to um you know clients like podcasts because um it's more thoughtful it's more time uh, they feel like they can get in a deeper conversation. Um, the hosts tend to be smarter. Um, they ask more intelligent questions. Um, you know, there's not that, you know, you have television, you're lucky if you get 30 seconds to a minute, right? Newspaper, um, the reporter, you know, is, you know, talking to you, but then they've got to do a car crash you know, mm-hmm. this afternoon, and then I got to cover a city council meeting. So podcasts are really great in the sense that it's a thoughtful conversation. And it's very rare that a podcast would put it on the cutting room floor because we exist to give that platform to those that. So for me, I like to get people who are who should be trending, but aren't the whole platform. That's why right. I, I like this, because I can just branch out and talk to other people. So mm-hmm. with that, as you say, in radio and news, in television especially you got that window of five minutes of scripted yep. questions and they're done so yep no well, i'm sorry you've had your share of scripted questions that tire you the f out um you know i it, it's funny because i'm not used to um doing interviews uh because i usually book interviews for my clients and so when and i'm I finding a podcast so i kind of get the booking <laughs> well it's funny because i media train clients on you know what to say what not to say how to you know posture and whatnot and now i'm doing it myself and i'm like 
oh my god this is harder than i thought it was okay well if you don't mind me asking because you did you i booked you through an external pr agency what was that like being a pr man dealing with another pr agency to get your word out um it was interesting because i uh i started it myself doing it myself and it was weird promoting yourself (laughs) and i felt almost like begging like I felt like you know I really should have someone do this on my behalf Mm -hmm. uh, because it is a little unseemly it seems a little desperate to be asking these reporters to write about yourself um so that was kind of the impetus and and once I I, you wouldn't go to a competitor you kind of went with someone you feel doesn't compete with you in the PR world but sort of connects with you no well you know I went with somebody who um I felt is a complete knew a whole audience that I wouldn't have thought of. And, you know, part of my book is, you know, it's a humor book is about media and it's about a culture clash with two generations, but it also has um, um, an element of wokeism and why I think that's so bad. And that is an argument that really resonates with more conservative, more, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, the, the, the 70 plus million people who voted for on the Republican side are, um, don't like the wokeism um, thing. And I don't either. And the book is kind of rooted in that. And so I thought, you know, why don't I, you know, this is a brilliant PR guy and he knows, um, he knows that side. And yeah. I feel like my message will really resonate with them. Well, when you said participation trophy, I'm like, that's a conservative term. That's not a liberal term, right? In fact, they kind of push back on the participation trophy. So speaking out sort of on the liberal tropes, do you feel weird about that? Do you feel normal? What do you feel? You know what? I, I feel like I'm giving voice to a lot of people who feel the same way. All my all my Democratic friends are so sick of this woke bullshit. It's out of control. It's so hypocritical. It's it's uh, it's tearing the country apart because my problem with it is, you know, I, it's not the ideal of wokeism. Like, you know, I want anybody to feel be comfortable in their own skin. I want everybody to 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 feel that they have the rights to do anything they want. What I hate is this moral moral judgment that if someone doesn't agree with you, it's not that you don't agree, it's now you're a bad person. Have you logged off of Facebook or any social media because of what's been going on the last six, seven years? Um, you know what, I, I haven't logged off. I kind of use social media now to promote my book. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of um, playing it safe, I feel. Yeah, but there was a time when I really had to go through it and delete uh, my, my political posts um, because I found myself getting more and more angry. And, you know, I really feel like we're at a point in our culture where everybody wants to be a victim. And it's just, I'm, I have compassion fatigue. I'm like, I just feel like. (laughs) Well, how about, I want to talk about the Met Gala since we're talking about glamour and everything. I want to talk about that for a second. But first you hear, you do hear the right say how CBS and ABC and NBC, they're all fake news. But you were there. I know the Dan Rather situation was very hairy back then, but for the most part, was it wrong to call 
networks like CBS News and all that fake news? No, it, 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 it is not fake news. I can tell you that right. It's not fake news. Um, there was an earnestness um, in the, the people who put the news together. And you can say whether they were biased. Um, you know, everybody kind of brings their, their own um, prejudices, prejudice, can't even pronounce that, um, perspectives, but no one goes into news to make it up. I mean, I think that is such a, a misnomer and it was so dangerous of Trump to, to, to do that because, you know, you look in the newsrooms of, of people across America, they're, they're genuinely honest people. No mm -hmm. one goes into journalism to make money or to corrupt people. It, it really is an earnest profession, but what happens is a lot of people bring their bias with them, their, un their unconscious bias. And that, and that sometimes gets into yeah, the government. And also newsrooms are so valuable. That's why when we hear cuts are being made to the newsroom, mm -hmm. we're devastated or we should be devastated, right? We should. I mean, news, news, uh, journalists, are, you know, it's the fourth estate. It's what keeps the other three branches honest. And, you know, journalists keep local communities honest. Like the, you know, without someone covering City Hall, there's going to be a lot of, you know, kickbacks and a lot of backslapping and backroom deals. Like journalists keep politicians honest. And the more we chip away at them, the more, uh, you know, we take our eye off very dangerous situations. Well, and that's why I think chipping away at AOC's tax the rich stress, I didn't really care. And I don't know why people cared on either side. It's just that people did. And, and what's your thought on that? Because you said you're tired of the wokeism. Is she an example of wokeism? Oh, I can't stand her. I, 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 I just wish she'd stop talking and start listening. She's not... She doesn't know what she's saying. And she really believes that, um, you know, it's almost like she, she has this God complex, like she's a martyr. And I'll never forgive her for trolling Amazon. When Amazon came to New York and they wanted to set up an, uh, a headquarters and employ 25,000 people, she and her, her uh, you know, sycophants uh, trolled Amazon for all their whatever and amazon said you know what it's not worth it and not only did she cost that community twenty-five thousand jobs but think about all the people around it the pizza parlor the dry cleaner the the deli you know it, it just is like cutting your nose to spite your face and she generally believes her own publicity. I also think the mayor and governor cost themselves that because they rolled it out so bad. I just oh like, yeah, um, I mean was, it was horrible. It was it was piss poor if I'm if I'm being honest here. Yeah, I um, mean no, I mean it was it was larded with tax abatements and I mean the whole thing was just it smelled. But at the end of the day, like you know, your job is to um, help your community. Exactly. And if a yeah, okay, there's lots of things wrong with Amazon, but you fix it from within, right? You fix it, get them there, and then work with them to improve, right? Yep, no, you're so right on that. And and I I, I kind of regret now that you, way you say it, that I was against it in the sense of, 
why are we giving these billion tax breaks? Well, we did it for me was the helipad. That was just, oh, yeah. <laughs> however, AOC did, did the damage and, and they're not yeah. here. Okay, you just mentioned that, you know, I forget you're from New York, right? New York yep. City. A lot of the employees you had, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever named, you don't name them in the book, but I'm sure you write sort of experiences based off their stories. Mm-hmm. Were they New Yorkers? Were they out of towners? Because I feel that millennials are more based, built off transplants now than New Yorkers, actually. Yeah, no, a lot of the people are, come from out of state. Um, and, you know, a lot of the young people come in and, and this is a new trend too. They still live at home. And th- this is fascinating to me that the, the, this younger generation, they want to be friends with their parents. And I don't understand that. When I was growing up, my parents were the last people I wanted to be friends with. They were my parents, right? They didn't like me. They loved me, but they didn't want to be my friends. You know, there was definitely a... Um, you know, there was a dividing line. And now these parents, and they want to be best friends and they talk all day. Mm. And it's just fascinating to me. Like my mom doesn't want to hear me once a week. <laughs> uh, it is interesting because then they're making TikToks with them as if they're best buddies. I, I get yeah. what you're saying there. It's what crazy. is that about? And, and you know, I think it, it, it is why these people come in and they're so entitled because their parents just, you know, um, tell them everything they say is special. You're the best. And it's almost too much self-confidence. Talking uh, with Jeremy Murphy. He is uh, the author of F Off Chloe, Surviving the OMGs and FMLs in Your Media Careers. Uh, Okay. FML, what, what kind of FML moments did you experience? I gotta ask you that. Oh my God, so many. Um, I mean, I had, when I was at CBS, I had to travel with celebrities and bring them all over the world for photo shoots. And it, it was every day, like the outrageous demands. I mean, we had one star um, demand a, an SUV that wasn't even made yet. It was like, um, they haven't manufactured that yet. Uh, And they demanded this. They demanded that. Um, (laughs) I had one star um, bill us for um, uh, a hairstylist after a photo shoot. He's bald. He has no hair. (laughs) That sounds chaotic, Jeremy. It was unreal. Um, I mean, it was funny. And uh, it, it kind of gave me my sense of humor. Um, but every day was a, you, like, you can't make this up moment. I noticed that, I guess, because I'm, I'll be honest, I work a lot in the mail with, with males and females. But I noticed that males also are very picky about what they want, more so than females sometimes, no? Oh, my God, they're worse. They're worse. I mean, doing photo shoots with men and women. Oh, my God, the men are just as, no, they're worse um how they're photographed they're grooming um uh, checking their angles um and and granted these are celebrities these are people who who you know you have to have a huge ego to go into true television you feel like you had to be did, did you feel like you grew an ego in cbs like hey i'm a vb in cbs like did you feel this ego oh no it's the opposite it was beat out of me we weren't allowed to have ego. 
literally I left with a, a no ego mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you get and that's there. That's probably why you couldn't pitch yourself because you were like, I, I can't pitch myself. No, you know what? You you literally, it was such, uh, and, and, and it's not because just CBS and, and network television. It was a, um, you know, it was beaten out of you. Um, you know, because it's not about you, it was about the talent, it was about the celebrities, it was about the senior executives, you were just, <laughs> you were there to make things easier for everybody else. Okay, so you just on the network television, and you know what comes to mind, like the 40s, 50s network television. Right. Did you think you were getting into that kind of atmosphere, rather than the, you know, 2000s television? Did you feel like there could be a air of nostalgia joining CBS? Oh, totally. I mean, I was in awe. I mean, I grew up getting TV Guide every fall, you know, the new uh, fall season. And I remember as a kid, I had my own network, like I would pretend I was scheduling. And then when I got there, I realized this is not glamorous at all. Mm. This is a business. You know, I worked at BlackRock, which is the le legendary CBS building in Midtown. And, you know, Edward R. Murrow, the Paley's and, you know, CBS Records, Michael Jackson, you know, uh, Bruce Spring, all these major stars were there. It was an iconic building. And I got in and it's a dump. It hadn't been renovated and since the 60s. Uh, the, the, some of the walls still reeked of cigarette smoke. The, yeah, it was like, it was just any office. And... It was, you know, it was a corporation. There was no glamour. Mm. Yeah. It's just, um, it's kind of sad when you think about it, right? Because you have these hopes and then all of a sudden they're kind of dashed. Oh, yeah. You, you obviously know. you liked it enough to stay 14 years, no? Yeah. I mean, well, A, you know, it was a job and it paid a lot more than uh, journalism did. <laughs> you know, like, uh, um, you know, being a reporter, there's no money in that. Um, so it was a good salary. Um, and I liked the people and, uh, I learned a lot. I got to travel. Um, you know, and I stayed, I think I stayed up to the point where I didn't know what else I could learn. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, like I said, I turned 40. It was a good time. Well, let me tell you, it, it is kind of funny when you feel like there's nothing else to do what do you do next and so to those who feel that way right now where what's your advice i mean it's daunting to try and break out and do your own thing it's not it's very daunting and um i don't know what gave me the confidence to do it um but you know i left five years ago and recently um the company got had gone through a bunch of um, changes and layoffs and people I had worked with who are maybe 10 or 15 years older got laid off. And when you're that age, that's a real tough place because no one's going to hire you. If you're over 50, mm. it's just not going to happen. And I was kind of thinking that too, like, okay, I'm 40. I'm still very marketable. Um, I want to learn something new. I want to do something. So I would say if someone's in that position, like, you know, it's a tough call, but, you know, better that you control your destiny than someone else does.
Amen to that. Well, Jeremy, this has been really enlightening. I mean, I feel like there's so much, but I got to ask you one million dollar question. Yes. Is there cursing in the book? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. That's what yeah. I want to know. Is there cursing in the book? In fact, I had to take some cursing out. Like, uh, I have a friend who's uh, very British, and he he has a fondness for the C word, oh. and he uses it in the British sense, like where it's not as profane as it is here. So um, I kind of <laughs> I had a few of those I had to lose. Yeah, so I had to tone it down. But there is cursing. Well, I'm sure people look forward to that. How can they get the book and how can they reach out to you? Um, it is on Amazon for presale uh, and Barnes and Noble too. Um, and uh, there's a website, uh, uh, fofchloe.com. And I'm online. You just, just, my email is all over the place. Jeremy Murphy at me.com. Um, I'm very accessible. Well, and, and I could see that. And I'd love to, I got your number. So we'll stay in touch. Absolutely. I'd love to have you back on. And uh, yeah, get me on your PR list. I'd love to see Definitely. you guys have on. So. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeremy Murphy. I'm Alex Garrett. We'll talk to you soon.